Well, good morning, everybody. My wife, Marianne, and I were uh, then living in Memphis, Tennessee. I was in seminary studying for uh, the ministry, and uh, I happened to be sitting at the happiest place in a hospital. And you know what that is, right? It's the maternity ward, happiest place in the hospital. Uh, Mary Ann was in the delivery room, and I could look around and see nervous looks on other fathers' faces. Uh, every now and then I could hear an expectant mother cry out with labor pain. I could hear muffled newborn babies cry come down the hall. I could hear shouts of joy. Uh, I'd been in a place like that before when our firstborn son, uh, Alan, was born. Uh, those are celebration times, right? But this time, this time it was different. This time we wouldn't hear a baby cry. This time we wouldn't see a baby's first breath. This time we wouldn't hold a baby in our arms or bring a baby home from the hospital. Because Marianne had had a miscarriage. Our baby had died. Now other dads were in the room handing out uh, bubblegum cigars. Uh, everybody just assumes you must be celebrating too. And I didn't want to rain on their parade, but I was heartsick. I didn't want to make eye contact. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to congratulate anybody. They wouldn't let me go back to be with Marianne during the procedure, the DNC. It was a long, lonely, quiet ride home with no answers as to why. We loved that baby, even before that baby was born. Now listen, who is going to tell parents who've experienced a miscarriage, that they should not grieve. That they've not experienced a very real loss. Who's going to tell those parents that? Don't ever say to parents like that, hey, maybe it's just for the best. Don't ever say, you know, maybe something was wrong with the child. Just say something like, I'm so, so sorry. Or maybe just say nothing. Just be present. See, I think we all know that it is a good thing and it is a right thing for parents who have lost a baby due to miscarriage to grieve. Now, why is it good and right for parents who've lost a child to miscarriage to grieve? It's because I think we all instinctively, deep down inside, know that life begins not at birth, but life begins in the womb. So open your Bibles today to Psalm 139, and we'll just be looking at a few verses, verses 13 to 16 today. We're launching a new mini-series today. The title of it is Created. Every human life is created by God in His image and has sacred dignity and immeasurable worth. Here's what our lead pastor, Chad, has to say about this. We are pro-life because God is pro-life. Being pro-life is about protecting the most vulnerable of people. Because people born or pre-born are made in the image of God and have God's imprint on them. Now, if the national statistics about churches are true for us here at CBC, then about 25% of us are very strongly pro-choice. About 30% of us are very strongly pro-life. And there could be about 45% of us that are like, eh, I'm not sure exactly what I think. We live in a culture that is increasingly unapologetic about women's rights 
trumping preborn rights. There's a pro-choice advocate. Her name is Mary Elizabeth Williams, and uh, she was quoted in a 2013 article in Salon Magazine. And she wrote this, I believe that a baby in the womb is a human life. But she also went on to say, if by some random fluke I learned today I was pregnant, you bet I'd have an abortion. I'd have the world's greatest abortion. She goes on. Here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. Now that's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, she said. Lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as a woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. And maybe you're here today and you say, yeah, I wouldn't say it quite that way. I wouldn't be that stark about it. But what she's saying resonates with me. I'm just asking everybody to go on a journey with me today for the next 30 minutes or so through some scripture. Let's just see what God has to say about this issue. If you're pro-choice and after hearing this talk, the pro-life position seems irrational to you, then reject it. But if the pro-life position seems somewhat sensible, then maybe you could rethink your position. If you're here today and you're kind of on the fence with mixed feelings, then I hope we'll give you some ideas today about how you can go on a quest for truth. And if you're here today and you're pro-life, then I just want to encourage you to think through your position. Because it's not good enough just to get all red in the face and say to people, well, I don't know why, but I just know I'm right and you're wrong. We just need to know how to intelligently and graciously have a conversation. Now, I know this. When we start talking about abortion, some people can get hurt. And that's not our desire. But the alternative for us is not bringing it up. Not talking about it. And I think as we're going to see, that hurts God. And it hurts the people he loves. So what matters to God must matter to us. Because church is more than just a social club. We're not here just to help each other feel good. We're here to help each other be good. And sometimes that means we have to take some tough medicine so that we can get well. Now, here are the numbers. Since 1973, there have been about 60 million abortions in the United States. The majority of these abortions have been performed uh, out of convenience, not because of some medical emergency. Now, this is more people lost than were lost in the Holocaust during World War II. This is more people dying uh, than died under the communist regime of Stalin in the former Soviet Union. It's a terrifyingly huge number. And it's not a worldwide number. It's just a number right here in the United States. About one million babies are killed by abortion in this country every year. That's about 2,750 abortions a day. One in every five pregnancies in America ends in abortion. And statistics show that a soldier's chances of survival on the front lines of combat are greater than the chances of an unborn child avoiding abortion. 
what should be the safest place to live in America, which is the mother's womb, is now the most dangerous place. I mean, we're horrified at what happened in a church in Texas when 26 people were killed. We should be even more horrified at what happens day after day after day in the United States. Let's bring this a little closer to home. I keep in my office this vase given to me by my friend Sue. In the vase are 175 uh, baby bottles representing 175 babies that are lost due to abortion in Ohio every week. And in it are also 175 white stones and 175 blue stones representing 175 moms and dads who have been wounded from the 175 abortions that happen every week. Cuyahoga County has 37.5% of all of the abortions in the state of Ohio. See, Psalm 139 teaches it was never supposed to be this way because the womb is the place where God actually does His greatest creative work. Psalm 139 is actually a psalm of worship to God. Verses 1 to 6 says that God knows us and cares for us. 7 to 12 say that God is present everywhere. And then 13 to 16 say that God has a concern for us and is working even before we're born. Then the idea is we should marvel at the creative majesty of God when He is forming a little baby. Human life begins in the human womb. And so let's read what the Scriptures say. Psalm 139, verse 13, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now there are uh, several Hebrew words in these verses that I think make a compelling case that babies have value to God and personalities before they're born, before they take that first breath. Now I'm going to try hard to dive into some of those Hebrew words, but not be tedious and not be academic in the process. But I think we can learn, learn some things from the nuances of these particular words. So go with me on this journey. Number one, in the womb, God knits us. He knits us. Notice what it says again in verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now the Hebrew word for knitted is kakak, and it means to weave. Other times, the word means to cover or to screen or to protect. So the idea is that in the process of weaving us together, God is simultaneously protecting us. Uh, the word is used in Job chapter 10. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Centuries before Psalm 139 was written, God placed a high value on this little one that he was knitting inside the womb. Listen to this, Exodus 21. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hid her shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. So let's look at this scenario. There's a brawl, a fight between two guys. A pregnant woman nearby is accidentally hit 
so the result is either a premature live birth or a miscarriage where the child dies. If harm is suffered by either the woman or the baby, then the man who caused the injury, the harm, is held accountable. And if the unborn baby dies, it's life for life. And what God is setting up here is he's saying, protect what I am knitting, the lives of the unborn. Now, some abortion advocates say, well, the unborn is part of the mother's body. She should have the freedom to do whatever she wants to do with her own body. But look at the verse again. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There are three persons being talked about here. God, a baby, and a mom. That means the unborn person is actually separate from the mo mother. Every cell of the baby's body is unique. Every uh, cell is different from the cell of the mother. The blood type is often different. Half the time, the sex is different. There are two noses, not one. Four legs, not two. Two skeletal systems, two circulatory systems, two nervous systems. The unborn is not part of a woman's body. The unborn is in the woman's body, but it's a separate person in this mother's body. And think about this. Alcohol-serving establishments in some states require that the establishment will post a sign that warns pregnant women not to drink because it might harm the baby. Why? Alcohol harms babies that are unborn. And if... And that means then the mother doesn't have the right to do whatever she wants to do if it harms the baby. Now, question, if alcohol harms unborn babies, what does abortion do? Now, I'm a strong believer in women's rights. And I have the deepest respect for my wife and the deepest respect for the women of this church. And I don't want to underestimate the trauma that anybody has had to go through in making an abortion-related decision. But men and women have a God-given responsibility to help protect what God designed the womb to protect, and that is the unborn lives of these little ones that He is knitting together. In the womb, God knits us. Second, in the womb, God makes us. Now notice verse 14, it says very simply, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. There's our word. The Hebrew word for made there is pala. And sometimes the word is translated to separate or to distinguish. So the idea seems to be that in the process of making us, God is separating us. He is distinguishing us from one another. See, there, there, there is a point of creation, uh, a moment where there is one egg with 23 chromosomes and a sperm with 23 chromosomes, neither of which has a life of its own. But when they're joined, then a new human being is formed with absolutely unique DNA, a distinct identity with the equivalent of hundreds of volumes of detailed information down to hair thickness, or lack of it, uh, eye color, height, thousands of other markers. So we are made and separated from one another, distinguished from one another by our unique DNA. When did that creation come about? When the baby took the first breath? No, in the womb, at conception. And this has tremendous implications 
Because no matter how soon after DNA is formed, after conception happens, an abortion causes the death of a human being, of someone God has fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about it. The abortion pill. The morning after pill. Or an IUD. It destroys a fertilized egg which is the DNA, the distinguishing mark of a special human being that God has made. In the womb, God makes us. In the womb, God weaves us. Look at verse 15. It says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, depths of the earth, that's like a poetic expression for the darkness and the secrecy inside the womb. And the Hebrew word for woven is the rakam. And the word describes the weaving of a garment or needlework of many colors of threads. It literally means to mix colors or to give variety to. So the idea seems to be that in the process of weaving us in the womb, God is creating an intricately beautiful and colorful work of art. So a skillful work of art is what's being described here. Uh, the same word is used of artisans in the Old Testament who wove things together and created the beautiful tabernacle that the Old Testament people used to worship in. Now think, if you created a work of art in or outside your home, a painting, a landscape, some pottery, a needlepoint, and somebody came into your home or came into your art and just destroyed it, you would feel violated. And I wonder if that's not the way God feels when someone invades a womb and desecrates his work of art, an unborn baby. You know, on the screen you'll see a picture of a child at eight weeks old. And this is when the earliest abortions take place. That just doesn't look like a blob of tissue to me. There's a measurable heartbeat 21 days after conception. There are measurable brain waves at 49 days after conception. This means that every surgical abortion stops a beating heart and stops brain waves. And the way I look at it is that's taking a life. And we have to let God finish what he has begun, this work of art that he's shaping and making in secret. In the womb, God weaves us. In the womb, God sees us. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed Substance. The word for saw is ra'ah. It means literally to look at or to inspect. So the idea seems to be that in the process of seeing us in the womb, God is aware. He's inspecting everything that's happening there. So we can pray, God, you saw me before I was born. You watched my body parts grow with your own eyes. You saw it all. So he sees the beauty that's happening there but he also sees the destruction that takes place there when abortion happens. Of all of the sins committed in the Old Testament, one stands out above the others in the utter abomination of God, and that is the killing of children. Whether children are offered to the demon god Moloch in the Old Testament or the god of affluence and comfort today, God hates the hit, ki killing of children. He says in Leviticus 20 that to kill is to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And he says in Proverbs chapter 6, there are seven things that are detestable to him, and one of those is hands that shed innocent blood. In, in 2 Kings 24, God says he brought destruction on the nation of Judah because 
of the evil king Manasseh, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, the blood of children. A man named Warren Hearn has authored a how-to manual called Abortion Practice. And he says this, A long curved mayo scissors may be necessary to decapitate and dismember the fetus. Maybe you've watched like I have some videos of abortions taking place. And just to see little dismembered arms and legs and heads, it's shocking. Now, I know we don't want to hear this. I don't want to be talking about this. We don't want to hear this any more than German Christ followers wanted to hear what was happening in the 30s and 40s to Jewish people. But it is happening, and we need to face it. Because if we can't face the truth in church, where can we face the truth? So please don't get angry at me. Get angry at the killing of innocent children and what legalized abortion has done to our country. God sees what is happening because He sees in the womb. In the womb, He sees us. And fifth, God plans us. In the womb, He plans us. And this is the last part of verse 16. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So the Hebrew word for formed here is yatsar. And the word could be translated fashioned or framed. It is describing how God devises something in his mind. It's describing his preordained purposes. And so basically we can pray something like this to God. Every day of my life, every moment of my life was recorded in your book, was laid out before a single day had passed. But even before I was born, you had a written out plan for my life. That's the idea here. Uh, the New Testament echoes this in Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When were we his workmanship? Before we were born. When did he have the preordained plan for us? Before we were born. Now, I don't want to get into a big discussion about the sovereignty of God here, but I think it's safe to say that God had plans for every little life that was ended prematurely. Listen, the, the children who die are not the only victims of abortion. Mothers and fathers and grandparents and uncles and aunts and others, brothers and sisters, they're victims too. I mean, we might think, you know, my kid's class at school is just too full. Why are there so many kids in that class? But you know, these classes that our kids are going to, they're missing many children. And maybe one of them would have been your child's best friend. Maybe one of them would have grown up to be your child's spouse. And maybe some of them would have been teachers and doctors and plumbers and nurses and pastors and missionaries. If you're here today and you've been damaged by abortion, you are not alone. This room is filled with damaged people. I've been talking with them in the foyer already today. All of us have been damaged by the loss of those who should be here with us today, but they're not. Look at what God's Word says. He knits us, makes us, weaves us, sees us, plans us all in the womb. Knowing when life begins and knowing when life should be protected is not above our pay grade. Not if we hear the heart of God. 
Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Social justice begins in the womb. It should. See, we oppose abortion for the same reasons we oppose slavery. It's a fundamental violation of human rights. We, as a culture, say we affirm the inalienable rights of all people. We say all people are created equal. We don't say they're born equal. We say they're created equal. And that happens in the womb. The concentration camps of Nazi Germany are a testimony to what happens when people start deciding who has the right to live and who doesn't. The sign in Auschwitz says, never again. And I hope someday that our nation will come to realize that what's been going on is an epic holocaust. And I pray that we will reach the day when we will collectively be able to look back and we will say, never again. The stakes are high. And if the pro-choice people are correct, then the freedom to choose an abortion ought to be a basic civil right. But if the pro-life people are correct, then all of those abortions that happen every day in America are human casualty, just like the lives that were lost at 9-11 in the destruction of the World Trade Center. So you say, what can we do for weak and helpless little children in the womb? Hundreds of different things. But you can pray like you've never prayed before. You can find a pro-life organization and you can start giving directly to it. You can speak up to your friends, to your family members, to elected officials. You can serve. There are organizations out in our foyer. You can talk to them and sign up and start serving. This isn't an issue. We're talking about babies' lives here. It's not a choice. It's a child. It's not politics. It's precious human beings created in the image of God. Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Abraham Lincoln said, to sin by silence when they should protest makes cowards of men. Silence is never the solution. When churches are silent about abortion, when Christians are silent about abortion, we implicitly encourage it. it. Our silence becomes a form of consent. It's a quiet permission. Let's not be cowards. Let's stand up for truth. Let's reach out in compassion. Let's people, let people know where we stand on these issues. Proverbs 31.8 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Who is less capable of speaking up for themselves than little boys and girls who haven't yet been born? If we don't speak up for innocent children, who will? You know, I grew up in the Deep South in the 60s. In 1968, there were racial riots at my high school. I had friends on uh, our high school basketball team that were African American. Uh, I liked them. They liked me. They even passed me the ball sometimes so I could get a few shots. <laughs> But one thing that I regret about that is I didn't do nearly enough. I mean, I was a punk teenager into my own stuff. I didn't speak up. I know I was just 15 or 16, but I wish I had done more to help the civil rights movement. It's a big regret in my life. 
And today we wonder, how could it happen in a country, in our country, that brave African-American students in Greensboro, North Carolina could sit at a lunch counter as bullies stamped out cigarettes in their hair, squirted mustard and ketchup in their faces, and kicked them while white policemen looked on laughing? How could it happen that black children and adults were sprayed by whites with high-powered fire hoses in Birmingham? How could it happen that black people were falsely accused and hung and burned without a fair trial? We wonder now today, how could that happen? And I pray that we will look back someday, and hopefully someday soon, and we will wonder about abortion. How could that have happened? And when that day comes, I don't want to be able, I don't want to look back and wonder if I did enough. I want to be able to look back and say, I wasn't silent. I didn't hold back. I prayed. I gave. I sacrificed. I served. I spoke up. Civil rights begins in the womb. Social justice begins in the womb. Human dignity begins in the womb. Human life begins in the womb. And it's got to be protected. Now this room is filled with people that made some tough aborted relation decisions. And you may feel, man, I don't deserve forgiveness after what I've done. And you know what? You'd be right about that. Because none of us deserve forgiveness. If we deserved it, we wouldn't need it. Christ got what we deserved on the cross so we could get what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness, a clean slate, and a fresh start. No matter what you've done, no matter what decision you made, no sin is beyond the reach of God's grace. There's a great leader in the church. His name was Paul. He was a murderer. He had actually participated in the killing of Christians. And he called himself the chief of sinners. But God forgave Paul and he used Paul greatly. And God can forgive you and use you greatly. Maybe you imagine that someday, you know, you're going to go to heaven and the skeleton's going to come out of the closet. You know, I had an abortion. Well, no skeletons are going to come out of the closet in heaven because there are no skeletons and there are no closets there. God already knows. God has already seen all of us at our worst, and He loves us anyway. He loves us just like we are. But He loves us too much to let us just stay like we are. He is determined to bring us to our knees so that we will confess and repent and then be healed. I once read a story about a woman who said, I believe God could forgive any sin except my abortion. And she discovered she was wrong. She'd been punishing herself for a sin that Christ had already taken the punishment for. No sin is too big for the Savior to forgive. And you know what that is? It's just the amazing grace of God. Now there are some aspects to healing from abortion that require a special process. And a lot of people in our church who have suffered through an abortion 
have never really come to terms with it. Some of you here, you may have suffered through some abortion decision and you've never told a single soul about it. You've suffered in silence. Well, we want to have a church where it's okay for you to talk about that. And it's okay for you to go through a process to be healed. We care about you. This weekend, we've got leaders from Alternaterm and the Cleveland Pregnancy Center and Cornerstone of Hope out in the foyer. And they have programs that will just take truths from God's Word to actually walk you through the steps of forgiveness and emotional healing and restoration. And then after the service, we'll have a prayer team in that corner right over here to my right that would love to embrace you and pray with you about these things. You know, as we wrap up today, I want to ask you to welcome our lead pastor's wife, Rika Allen. She has been faithfully and fruitfully serving with a pro-life ministry called Alternaterm for the last couple of years. And she's going to share with us a story for the third time today, she's awesome, um, about a woman that had a very difficult decision to make. Thank you. Is it on this time? Yes. Okay. I get the privilege of sharing a story of a woman who is very dear to me. It was going to be the best year ever. I worked very hard throughout high school so I could enjoy all the senior activities and events. I was president of the Girls Athletic Association, director of school assemblies on student council, cheerleader, and I was voted best all around. It was an amazing time of excitement and anticipation regarding my future. I was sure to receive various athletic and academic scholarships that would help me select the college of my choice. My future was destined to be incredible. I was eager, optimistic, and ready to live out my dreams. But in June, the summer before my senior year, my world was rocked and would never be the same. I was 17 when my dad, my mentor and major source of emotional support, died from cancer. A week after his passing, in an effort for life to feel normal, I attended a cheer camp at a major university. I took advantage of the opportunity to run away from my new reality. Once at camp, I found myself numb and more confused. During the day, I went through the motions of happiness and laughter, but at night, I would find a quiet place to be alone and I would cry uncontrollably. I didn't really know how to deal with my loss. In December of my senior year, my boyfriend's friend made a doctor's appointment for me. I had to squeeze it in between school and the basketball game I was cheering for that night. I'll never forget the examination or the way it made me feel when everyone left the room. There I sat in my cheerleading outfit, alone, so afraid, and so ashamed. When the doctor returned to tell me that I was pregnant, the very next thing he said was, you know, you don't have to have this baby. He then proceeded to tell me that I had just made a mistake and I should consider abortion. Being told I was pregnant and in the same breath being told to have an abortion was absolutely disturbing. I thank God that he spoke to my heart and mind right then and there. I was a believer, although I was not following Christ as a teen. But I knew that the Lord was speaking into my life during this time of uncertainty. I also knew that an abortion was not going to be my decision for this baby. My mother was only 49 years old and still mourning the loss of her husband when I had to tell her my news. I was so scared and worried about what she would say, but nothing could have prepared me for the way she looked at me. Her eyes were still filled with sadness and heartache, but now after my news, she also had this look of extreme disappointment and anger. Facing my boyfriend's parents did not go well either. They insisted I get an abortion. 
After all, I was ruining their son's life. Over and over, family and friends told me not to have this baby. They told me that I didn't need to sacrifice everything to become that pregnant teen girl in high school with a shattered reputation. I was told to make the right decision to protect my future and not let this accident or this problem shatter my dreams. To this day, I'm extremely thankful for the God-given strength and determination to have my baby. I'm also grateful that today when a woman faces an unplanned pregnancy, there are so many resources of support available to help guide them through their pregnancy. These pro-life pregnancy centers are filled with loving staff who will partner with you and affirm your choice of life. You will not be alone and uninformed like I was. Be blessed, sweet women, and seek what is right and true because you need to believe that a miracle has been given to you. This child, this baby, is your gift to the world. Stand your ground and do what you know is right for you and your baby. Bottom line, I am a survivor of the challenges that came with an unplanned pregnancy. And so is my sweet, wonderful, amazing son. I thank and praise God that he was my inner voice, the hope in the midst of my crisis. So if you are pregnant, please embrace the fact that you have been given a gift, a child, a human being, regardless of your situation or circumstances. Don't listen to what the world will suggest you do out of selfishness or convenience. Giving birth to a child is not only a God-given miracle, but I can strongly testify and assure you that your child will have an impact and make a difference in this world by their existence. And now I have the joy of introducing this woman's son to you. You know, I'm so grateful for my mom's uh, bravery. Uh, truth be told, true confession, I was just texting in church. Um, with my mom who's online right now, watching online, would you, just, would you just give a hand for my mom and her bravery? Thanks, Mom. Glory, glory to God. That's our, that's our desire. You know, up to about six weeks ago, I only knew about 20, 30% of that story. And as we started looking toward uh, these two days where we're going to talk about why we're pro-life today and why we're pro-adoption next Sunday, uh, I, I reached out to my mom and said, I, I think there's more to the story. And she said, yes. And so we talked. And I said, would you be willing to share that story? And she bravely said, yes. And so I'm grateful for that story and the fact that my wife can read that. Uh, it is in writing. If, you, if it was meaningful to you or someone you want to give it to, uh, there's some copies out at the front desk, by the way. Um, you're welcome to take one. But uh, it would be very easy for folks to come to CVC and just assume, just kind of know uh, through osmosis or whatever that we're a pro-life you know, organization, a pro-life community. Uh, but we want to be very clear, for 30 years we've been pro-life, and until God takes our last breath, we will continue to be pro-life as a church. Uh, we believe in the sanctity of life. So that, that topic impacts all of us. Some of you um, are still carrying wounds um, from decisions you've made or the decisions of loved ones 
and the decisions they've made. And, and we want to stand with you uh, and, and talk about and celebrate healing in Christ. Uh, we love you. We care for you. Uh, we want you to experience the healing that is yours in Christ. Just talk to several women, just like Pastor Rick this morning, that uh, all over the board, some of them saying, I had an abortion 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And, and, and uh, those who came out with it, and let Christ bring healing, are walking healthy, and God's using them in their stories. And so, uh, and also for those of us who just as followers of Christ, maybe God's going to use today as a catalyst to say, you know what, I've been too quiet. Uh, I've been too sidelined. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve in one of these ministries. I'm going to advocate. I'm going to love people at a greater level. And so uh, we are definitely all about God's creation in the womb and standing with that unborn child who can't speak for themselves. So uh, please know that. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in worship. Uh, our worship team is going to come out here in a minute. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to receive our offering here in a minute, and we're going to worship and just celebrate life, new life uh, that God has given us. So would you stand with me, please, as we um, pray and also continue to worship this morning? Father, thank you so much for your goodness. God, thank you that you bring beauty from ashes, and that you are a God who restores and brings new life. God, thank you that you have plans beyond what we see in the moment. And so, Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ for any woman here or any family here affected by abortion. God, would they experience your healing? Would they experience your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and your love? Would they experience new life in Christ? And God, use their story. Lord, bring healing and glory, Lord, of yourself through their story. Give them the boldness and the bravery to share what you've done in their healing process. Or, Lord, bring them to a place of healing. Father, for those of us who've been too quiet, Lord, that we have been on the sidelines on this issue, Lord, may you rise up in us a, a passion, a zeal for standing for those who cannot speak for themselves, who cannot advocate for themselves. Lord, every single conceived life is precious in your sight. And we know that you have plans, Lord, unknown plans even for each and every little boy, little girl. So God, help us to know with wisdom how to uh, be involved. And Lord, use our mouths in loving ways, compassionate ways, but also bold ways to advocate for them. So Father, we give glory to you. Help us to always um, honor you with what we do with the unborn and the born. So Father, all glory to you. Lord, receive these gifts that we're about to receive. May you multiply them for the work of your kingdom so more may know about new life in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen.